How are you guys doing? I'm going to have to get a bigger pulpit. I don't have enough room for my Bible and my laptop. <laughs> I got a new Bible. Pretty excited. Um, yeah, like Johnny was saying, uh, Easter service was amazing last Sunday. Uh, next Sunday will be communion. And um, I think we'll also be doing some testimonies. I'm sure Mario will announce it on our message board. But if you have a testimony of something that God did for you last Sunday, um, let us know so you can share it on next Sunday. Um, and just so you guys know, uh, we had people accept Christ and reconcile with the Lord last Sunday. So that was amazing. So, yeah, we just give God honor for that. Um, and, you know... Every day is Easter for us. Every day is Easter for us. God, Jesus rose over 2,000 years ago, and we get to celebrate that he's alive every single day. And I'm pretty excited. Uh, it's, it's Sunday. Uh, we're calling it our, our game day. So uh, I put on my uh, Kobe Bryant shirt today. Um, so I'm here. I'm focused. I'm ready. Are you guys ready? All right, so we're going to be, uh, I'm continuing to talk about Nehemiah, so go to chapter 2 of Nehemiah. Last, uh, last time I got uh, the chance, the opportunity to speak, we spoke about Nehemiah, and we talked in chapter 1, I called it, What We Don't See. Uh, what we don't see was about the time that we spend in, in, in prayer with God, um, the moments that we spend in the quiet with the Lord. And how they serve uh, kind of like as training grounds uh, for our assignments and what we're to do with, with God. And what he's uh, calling us to do and the, the purpose that he gives us. Um, uh, in chapter 1 of Nehemiah, he was, uh, he was moved because he finds out that Jerusalem is destroyed. So this is the city of God. If you don't know, Jerusalem actually means the city of, of God, the city of peace. And it was in ruins. So there was a king named Solomon who was actually David's son. And uh, he built a temple uh, to the Lord and it was destroyed. And then um, the Babylonians came and they took over. And so unfortunately, the, the city was destroyed, the, the gates, the, the walls, everything kind of like lay in ruin. Um, and so this is where we find Nehemiah. He's, he's heard bad news. He goes into the quiet place, he prays, and then God sort of sends him on his assignment. So that was last time. That was called what, what we don't see, meaning, you know, when you seek the Lord in the private, in the quiet, he, uh, he calls you to do things in public. And so um, today I want to speak to you about the beginning of legacy. So today I'm calling it who we don't see. So I want to speak to you about the beginning of legacy and the three vital people that we can miss when we're creating it. So legacy, um, I like saying it in Spanish, legado. So when you create your legacy, um, oftentimes you, you have vision. So knowing what you want your legacy to be creates vision for your life. And when we partner our vision with the purposes of God, we are propelled into our destiny. So again, so knowing that you want what you want your legacy to be, it often gives your life vision for the future, for what's coming. And when you live your life that way and you intertwine it with the purposes of God, it takes you to your destiny. In other words, it takes you to what you were born for. And it takes you to what you were created to live for. Amen? Nehemiah's legacy is one of courage, 
leadership, and revival. He had courage, <clears throat> as we'll see in we, we read through chapter 2, and he had leadership, as we'll also see, and in the result is revival. So what I didn't do last time and um, what, I, what I will do this time is look at some history. So I'm going to throw out some dates for you guys, um, just to kind of like let you guys know like where Nehemiah's time was and what was happening during that moment. So in 538 BC, Jerusalem lay in ruins, conquered by the Babylonian Empire for 70 years. So this is 538 BC. In 5, uh, 539 BC, sorry, in 538 BC, Cyrus, who's the king of Persia, comes and attacks uh, the Babylonians and actually takes over. So he becomes kind of like the king of, of, of a major empire. And just so you guys know, the Persians allowed the Israelites to actually move up in ranking. So they, the uh, Jewish people were allowed to kind of infiltrate the government and serve and have powerful positions with the Persians. And the Persians were very extravagant. They were known for their feasts, for their parties. Um, they had a lot of food. Um, they had, you know, lots of wine. And it went on for days. And in 537 BC, um, Cyrus allows the Jews to return and rebuild Solomon's temple. In 536 BC, and I'm going down, if you notice the dates are going down because it's before Christ, right? So before Christ, there was a countdown. Now after Christ, we're counting up. You guys get that? Okay. Um, so 536 BC, <clears throat> uh, uh, his name is Zerubbabel, leads the first return of the Jewish people to the temple, uh, to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. In 486 BC, uh, Xerxes is the king of Persia now, and he's the father of Artaxerxes, and Artaxerxes is the guy who Nehemiah serves. In 457 BC, Artaxerxes, and I'm throwing out a lot of dates, but you'll see why later. In 457 BC, Artaxerxes is king who sends Ezra to establish worship at the temple. So the, the temple was restored, and then worship gets restored. And then finally, with Nehemiah in 445 BC, um, I believe it's like almost now, like over 100 years later, Nehemiah gets sent to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And that's where, that's where we find Nehemiah in today's message. Um, and Nehemiah, in, in an important note, is that he's the king's cupbearer. So because the Persians allowed the Jewish people to go up in ranking, the cupbearer actually had more responsibility than just making sure the wine wasn't poisoned. You guys understand that the kings had the, the person that would taste the wine to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. If the cupbearer dropped dead, then the king was ordering another glass of wine. Um, but for the Persians, the cupbearers actually had more responsibility. They actually oversaw the vineyard. They saw the staff. They were actually in charge of coordinating the parties, the dinners, making sure that people sat in the right places. So if you're the cupbearer, you're not just tasting wine for the king. You're actually serving him. And the fact that you have to, in a sense, take a bullet for the king, you're pretty trusted by the king. You're somebody that is held in high regard. Amen? Does that make sense so far? All right. So that's a little bit of history. Um, I call this message who we don't see because when it comes to creating legacy, there are sometimes uh, three people that we don't see when we're creating it. 
Now, I'm not talking to you about like leaving a legacy behind, though that's the, the result, obviously, but I'm talking to you about creating it and the initial stages of like going after it. And oftentimes when we're creating it, we can miss three people that are very key to helping us create our legacy, our family's legacy or our marriage's legacy or the legacy of Grace and Love Church or the legacy of your career or your school, whatever it may be. So those three people go, go like this. The first people that we sometimes don't see or are unseen are those that are closest to us that we've become far too familiar with. And I'll explain that in a little bit. Second, the people that we don't see are people in our daily life who are in need. Three, ourselves, in the sense of who God says we are. So those are three people. So let's go to the first one. So the first one is the ones that we've become too familiar with. So let's go ahead and go to Nehemiah chapter 2. And we're going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 9. Give me an amen when you're there. Okay. So I'm going to start reading here. I'm reading the New King James Version, and it'll be up on the screen for you also. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine. So this is Nehemiah speaking. He wrote this. I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had never been... I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore, the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of the heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire? When the king said, when the, Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set a time for him. Furthermore, I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass, uh, though, pass through till I come to Judah. Let's just leave it there. So when it comes to creating legacy, the beginning of legacy honors those that have gone before us. So when we create legacy, it's important that we ask questions of those that kind of have trailblazed ahead of us those that maybe have a little bit more time in, in the Lord, those that maybe are, 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 are pastors or elders or deacons or department heads, whatever it is that it may be, right, that God has called them or those that have a, a bit of experience. And sometimes we don't see these people, not that we don't see them physically, but it's like we don't see the position that they hold because we've gotten too familiar with them. So the beginning of legacy honors those that have gone before us. We learn to, we learn from them and we serve under them. Nehemiah didn't let uh, himself be so familiar with the king that he immediately went up to him and was asking him, demanding him, hey, king, let me go. I need to go rebuild the wall. He continued to serve. He stayed in his position. And obviously the news that he gotten had weighed down on him so much that it was obvious on his face, even though he was trying his hardest to complete his, his job. 
But the king saw it anyways, and he said, Nehemiah, what's wrong? And Nehemiah says, well, the place of my ancestors, it's, it's ruined. It's, it's burnt to the ground. It's destroyed. Um, they're vulnerable. They can get attacked. They're slaves. They're, they're, they restored the temple. They restored worship. But what is that if you can't protect it? And so the king says, well, you know, how long are you going to be gone for? Because if you remember, the cupbearer is pretty important to the Persian king. And Nehemiah prays in his mind, and he says, God, you know, as I'm speaking to this man, please grant me favor, Lord. And it's awesome that Nehemiah honors this man. Even though he's a Persian king, he honors him. And he shows him respect, and he gives him his position. And so he actually tells him, like, you know, I'll come back. I'll set a time when I will return, but just send me. And then he asks for the paperwork, right, the letters, so that the king himself can send him to go restore the walls. As a, as, a, as a church in our early years, I feel like, like, like we, can, we can run this risk sometimes. Like we become either too familiar with ourselves or, or too familiar with maybe like our pastor or we become too familiar with, you know, our brothers and our sister or with our deacons. And we say, oh, that's just, you know, that's just so-and-so. And we miss out on what God has called them to do. Um, I wrote down, familiarity is the enemy of maturity in Christ. The moment we lose our hunger, the moment that we say, oh, you know, I, I kind of know how it goes. I kind of know how the grace and love service goes. I don't have to go. Or I can just, like, I can pop in at any time. Um, I can, like, not show up. Um, and I'm not, like, calling anybody out. But what I'm saying is that we should have reverence to the things of God. We should have respect and honor to what's going on, what's happening here. Last Sunday, we celebrated Easter, and people accepted Christ. That means that people died here and then resurrected with the Lord. And that is intimate. That is honorable, and that's holy. And it, it, it demands our respect. It demands our, you know, our, our just, like, drive and hunger to go after it. And if we, if we get too familiar with it, we might lose the reward because there might be, um, a, a, whatever it may be, a person, a pastor or a preacher, or, or if we ever have like a prophet come in and we just say, oh, that's just another person, we might miss the reward. The Bible says that. If you honor the prophet, you get a reward from the prophet. And then I want to share a story. Um, in, at the end of Matthew 13, chapter 13, Jesus uh, kind of shows this and how it happens. So at the end of chapter 13 in Matthew, Jesus is reading the Bible to his people from his hometown. And as he's reading, um, <clears throat> the Bible says that the people can feel the breath of God coming off of the pages and coming out of his mouth. And they can feel his presence and they can feel how wonderful it is that this man, Jesus, is speaking the, the, the word, the word that, the same word that is read every single Saturday for them. You know, and but it feels different this time. And for a moment, they're starting to experience the living God. Because after, after the history that I just read to you, Israel has, uh, I believe it's like 80 years of silence. It's not recorded in the Bible. But after those 80 years, Jesus comes. They spent 80 years without hearing from God. And Jesus is standing right before them, fully man, fully God, speaking to them. And their hearts are starting to beat. And they're like, oh, my God, this feels good. And then somebody in the back of the room goes, isn't that Joseph's son? 
Isn't that the carpenter's son? Isn't that Mary's son? You know, the illegitimate son of Mary? And the Bible says that the, the, the chapter ends there, the story ends there, but what would have happened if they would have accepted that that was different? Not to say that we would understand it or that they would have understood it, but just embrace the moment that they were feeling and experiencing when Jesus was reading to them. So again, the first person that we might miss when we're creating legacy is the person that we're too familiar with. These could be, again, pastors, elders, deacons, whatever it is, leaders, it could be each other. Does that make sense? All right. Uh, second person is those in need. So those in need around our life vary, okay? They're, they're, they, there's a wide range of people in need. They don't look the same, and God doesn't come to them all the same. But what I have noticed in the Bible and even in, like, our own lives is that there are two approaches for how to, uh, like, kind of, like, share the gospel. The first approach, if you're taking notes, it's, it's kind of like the long-run approach. It's called covert, the covert approach. This is, like, you're in it for the long run. You know that it's not going to happen immediately. So the examples here that I can give you are Daniel and Joseph. Daniel served the Babylonian kings, and then he served the Persian king Cyrus. Joseph um, served Pharaoh, and he served a nation that was not his own, but in turn helped to serve his own nation. And it took a long time. It wasn't like immediately after night. For us, this could be CEOs, presidents of companies, and there are modern-day pharaohs and kings. And it's not to say they're evil people, but these people might be like high-ranking people. That doesn't mean that they're greater than us, and us being children of God doesn't make us greater than them. But it just means that we might need to serve them and love them just for the sake of serving and loving them. So that down the road, they can come to the Lord. Then there's the short run, which is called overt. This is our community outreaches. This is our, our evangelizing. This is the, the sharing the word with your neighbor on a daily basis. Um, the examples here are Jesus, Peter, and John. Right? Jesus calls to, to Zacchaeus, and he goes and eats dinner with him, and Zacchaeus gives his life to the Lord. Um, Peter and John heal the crippled at Gate Beautiful. So these are your neighbors. These are your coworkers, the people that you have access to daily, and you can like, talk to them um, right away, or we go evangelize, and we speak to them. Both approaches see to it that, that uh, on earth, as it is in heaven, is executed daily. So for Nehemiah, the people in need were the people of Jerusalem because their walls were destroyed. So let's go ahead and keep reading in Nehemiah chapter 2, 11 through 18. So verse 11, it says, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Sounds familiar, three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one uh, I was riding. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall 
Then I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. Uh, verse 16. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, you see this distress that we are in? How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Come and let us build a wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Verse 18. And I told them of the hand of God which had been good upon me and also of the king's words that had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. Let's leave it there. So when it comes to those in need, what is required of us is to be diligent. So the beginning of legacy is marked by diligence. In order to complete our legacy, we will need to be diligent in our commitment to those around us, uh, first and foremost to the Lord in our relationship. Uh, we're going to have to cooperate with one another, work with one another, work as a team together. This means, you know, you put your hand to the plow and you're not looking back and you're just focusing on moving forward. Uh, and then having compassion for others. Um, Nehemiah's diligence here is shown where he asks the king, after the king says, okay, Nehemiah, you can go. He says, okay, but give me paperwork. Give me letters so that I can show them to the people that are, are in charge in the area so that I can get the material, so that I can get the equipment. And, and so the king gives it to him and he gives him his seal. And Nehemiah goes with that. If you will, he's taking the king's word to something that has fallen so that he can restore it. If you will... Nehemiah goes, and because he honored the, the Persian king, the Bible says that he sends him with horsemen and with representatives from the kingdom. So here you have a Persian kingdom coming into, you can say maybe a fallen kingdom, a kingdom that has walls uh, torn and, and the gates burned down, and you have a, a kingdom invading another kingdom to bring it back to life. And if that's not a picture of, of what we're supposed to do, I don't know what is. And so we're supposed to step into people's lives and represent the kingdom of heaven and restore their gates and restore their walls. Remember last service I said, uh, or last time that I preached, I said that, that our, gates are our gates are praise and our walls are salvation. So when we're saved, we have walls, and that means that we can open our mouth and we can praise God. And when we praise God uh, in Revelations, it says that the gates are pearls. So when we worship God, God sees pearls coming out of our mouth to him. So Nehemiah went from being the king's cupbearer to being God's cupbearer. He went from serving the Persian king to serving God. So we need to see those that are in need around us. The third one is uh, ourselves. And this is in the sense of, of seeing ourselves as God sees us, seeing ourselves as catalysts. When you, when, you, when, you, um, when you put a catalyst into something, it's like let's say you have uh, food coloring and let's say you have green and you put yellow and blue into it, you get a whole new color. Why? Because you put in a catalyst. You put in something that was going to change it. And that's what we are to be. That's what Jesus sees us as. He sees us as that, um, I think he says, the yeast that is worked through the leaven that changes and it works through the dough. And we're, we're that. We're, we're, the, we're, the, we're the game changers. And so if we're going to create legacy, we have to accept who God says we are. For Nehemiah, I like his story because 
for him, like he wasn't wasting time. His purpose, he already knew it, to serve. And he was serving the Persian king. The moment he heard the news about Jerusalem, he didn't sit back and say, well, is it my calling? Is God calling me to this? You know, should I really go do this? No, immediately into the prayer room, prayed and said, God, send me. Oftentimes we get caught up in like, what's my calling? God, what are you calling me to? What are you, what are you telling me to do in this time? When our purpose is always there with him. And it's, it's simple. It's destroy the works of the devil. It's go show Jesus. It's heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. On earth as it is in heaven. That's our purpose. It doesn't change. And sometimes we get caught up in our mistakes. And we get caught up in like what we've done or, or, or what we don't have. And God is saying, don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on me. So Nehemiah's confidence, like Jesus, was birthed in that moment of constant prayer. So let's read the last two verses, verse 19 and 20. But when Sanballat the uh, Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, so once they heard of what Nehemiah was doing, they laughed at us. They laughed at Nehemiah and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? And so Nehemiah answered, uh, answered to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. I love Nehemiah's attitude. Because he's like, He's like, I already prayed. I already know who I am. I already know who I belong to. I already know who's in charge of the mission. So when the enemy comes up and starts saying stuff, it's like, nope, I'm not going to argue with you. Notice that Nehemiah didn't even say, here's the paperwork. The Persian king sent me. He said, no, God is going to prosper this. And that's the attitude that we got to have. That's the attitude we got to have daily when we wake up in the morning or at the end of the night or when our week is not going so well. we got to remind the devil who we belong to. we got to remind the devil who we are. I heard this cool quote, when the enemy comes and attacks you and he tries to tell you that you're not a good parent or you're not a good son or you're not a good worker or he tries to remind you about your past, remind him about his future. I heard somebody say, I read the book, good news, we win. So when the enemy comes and tries to attack you, or maybe it's not even the enemy, maybe it's just doubt and insecurity, just remind yourself, I am the righteousness of God. I belong to God. When you live life that way, when you approach life that way, and you see yourself that way, God naturally sets up your divine encounters for you. He sets people up for you to talk to them. You step out and you just say, God, I'm ready. Just send me wherever you want me to go. Or if you see an opportunity and you say, God, I want to go there and I want to go speak there, he'll send you. Uh, a cool story that I've shared before was last year um, I started uh, the tithe, the whole tithes uh, series, financial series thing. I started it last year and, uh, or almost two years ago now. And right after I preached about the tithe, I actually went to Orlando for work. And um, I had the first night was free. Uh, I didn't have to do any work that night. So I took an Uber to downtown Disneyland. Um, when I got into the Uber, I could immediately tell that there was something different about the driver. Um, and he starts talking to me. And it didn't take me long to realize that he was actually evangelizing me. 
And I was like, okay, well, let's see where this goes. And so he just kept talking to me, and then he gave me, like, a movie of Jesus. And I was like, cool. And I was like, actually, brother, I'm, I'm Christian, too. And so we started, like, talking, and it took us a while to get to downtown Disney. And, and um, he ends up telling me that he's struggling financially with his family. And that's why he's uh, driving an Uber, and he serves at his church, and he has, like, two jobs. And so I tell him, brother, you know what? I think God set this moment up. Because I just preached about the tithe, but most importantly, about how God pours out his blessing for his children. And so I prayed for him in that moment. And I believe wholeheartedly that God really helped his economy and helped his finances. Because um, when God calls you to something, he backs you up. So those are the, the, the three people, right? So to kind of like go back and summarize things. When we, when we create legacy, we got to be like proactive in it, proactive in our approach. And what I have, what I have written here is when we think of legacy, we're leaving behind, uh, when we think of the legacy we are leaving behind, we got to remember to be like Nehemiah. Honor those that have gone before us. Serve those that are within our reach. It's not your responsibility to help out the whole world. That's the issue today with our, with our, our younger people. Or, I mean, all my older uncles are on Facebook already, so it's like everybody now. It's not just young people. Everybody that has access to social media, you see more bad news in one day than people used to see when there was no television. So now everybody cares about everything, and it's exhausting. And it, and, it, and it makes you ineffective. God called you to one thing. Sometimes two. Sometimes he switches it up on you. Like Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer. Then, out of nowhere, I don't know how it makes sense, but it makes sense to God that a cupbearer becomes an architect and rebuilds walls. And then he goes and he actually leads people. And he goes and he tells them, God has been with me. And the people's response is, let us get up and build. So when we create legacy, we got to honor the people that have gone before us, serve the people that we can serve around us, and we need to be diligent in our identity in Christ. So be proactive. A legacy is born in those moments that nobody sees, where our only focus, hunger, desire is to behold the face of our loving Father in the quiet place. That's what our heroes of our faith did. When Hebrews 11 talks about the heroes, Right? All of them, they seek the Lord in, in the quiet, in, in, in the private. Not just, for, not just so that they can have a great ministry, but so that they can just encounter their loving Father. And if you think about it, as I'm reading to you like Nehemiah's story, that's his legacy that he left behind that like over 2,000 years ago is like impacting us. And it, it actually ties in personally to me a lot closer as I was preparing for this message. Something like really um, powerful to me like popped. And um, I kind of like set you guys up. So remember all the dates that I threw out at the very beginning? So I'm going to read them. But now I'm going to uh, infuse the legacy into them. You guys ready? Are you guys awake? Yeah. All right. This, this is it, I promise. I don't think I took that long. Um, so here's the history, the same history that I gave you before, 
but with the legacy of God's children infused into it. So listen carefully, please. In 538 BC, Jerusalem lay in ruins because the Babylonians conquered them. And they over, the Babylonians were over the Jewish people for 70 years. The Jewish people were slaves. But serving the Babylonian kings was Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego. The Bible says that Daniel was counted as a witch, as a sorcerer amongst the king's servants. But he wasn't that. He was a child of God in disguise. He was in it for the long run. He was serving the Babylonian kings. In, in 537 B.C., I may have gotten my date switched here. In 537 B.C., Cyrus, the king of Persia, takes over the Babylonians. So he goes into power and he takes over the king of, of, of Babylon. Guess who's there? Daniel. Guess who serves Cyrus? Daniel. So Daniel's in there, and now he's serving Cyrus. And I like to think that because he's serving Cyrus, that that granted some favor to the Jewish people. Because then later in, five, uh, in 537 B.C., Cyrus says, you know what, Daniel? I'm going to let your people go. And in 537 B.C., he allows the Jewish people to go back and rebuild Solomon's temple. So then Daniel passes, and that's, that's Daniel's story. In 536 B.C., Zerubbabel, um, a Jewish person who was allowed to work his way up in the Persian government, leads back the first return of the Jewish people to Israel to rebuild the temple. And that's his legacy. In 486 B.C., Xerxes is the king of Persia. He's the father of Artaxerxes, the guy who Nehemiah served. Xerxes marries a woman named Esther. Esther goes to fight for the Jewish people because Xerxes, uh, like commander, wanted to kill the Jewish people. So Mordecai and Esther do something about it. Because Mordecai tells Esther, what if you were born for such a time as this? And her legacy is one of power and one of change. And she actually destroys the enemy and saves the Jewish people. Because she marries Xerxes, that makes her Artaxerxes' stepmom. Nehemiah served Artaxerxes. So Artaxerxes sends Ezra back to Jerusalem. And Ezra restores worship. I like to think that's because, because Daniel was there, because Esther was there, because Mordecai was there. In 445 B.C., Artaxerxes sends Nehemiah to rebuild the walls. So now you have the temple restored, you have worship going on in the temple, and now you have protection over it. You have the walls and the gates are restored. And this is a new date that I didn't give you the first time. In 432 B.C., Thanks to all the stuff, all the God's children, all the work that they did, all the serving, all the honoring of the people that went before them, accepting who they were called to be, because they did all of that, Esther, uh, Nehemiah, Ezra, Daniel, Mordecai, because of all of that, now that Jerusalem is kind of like healthy and vibrant and flourishing again, Malachi gets to become the prophet of Israel. And Malachi lays the foundations for moving in tithes and offerings. 
which leads people in that Malachi chapter of the tithe, it leads people to write a book of remembrance of how good God is. In 1 BC or, or 1 AD, all of this sets up for the coming of the Christ who died and resurrected on the third day so that we can live. And because of that, all the stuff that was written down by Malachi in 2016, I get to get up here and preach a message about the tithe. I don't think you guys got it. When you create your legacy, you're going to impact people that you're never going to meet, that you're never going to see. If, 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 if Daniel doesn't hang in there, and if Daniel, doesn't, then if Daniel gets caught up in the, I'm not a witch, I'm not a sorcerer, you know, I'm God's child, and says, I'm not going to serve you, uh, Babylonian king. If he doesn't hang in there, maybe Jerusalem doesn't go back to them. Maybe they don't restore the temple. Maybe worship doesn't get restored. Maybe Nehemiah's story never happens. Maybe my message from last year doesn't happen. But when you create legacy, God partners with your life to make an impact in the community of believers that, that you may never meet. And I love that, you know, like Meryl and I are so like fully into like our financial uh, ministry and what we have going on. And after preaching that message and after preparing, I was like, wow, I was like, what these people did over 2,000 years ago impacted a message that I shared last year or two years ago. That's like, to me, that's so cool. And we've seen people prosper and we've seen how God has backed it up. So what happens when we create a legacy in God? We restore temples. We restore worship, which shapes people's identity. We impact the lives of people we will never see and we will never meet. So it's important for us to have legacy. It's important for us to have vision. It's important for us to think beyond today. It's important for us not to get caught up in what's going wrong, but to see what's happening behind the scenes with God. I think uh, legacy definitely starts with honoring God. And then it, 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 it requires you to be proactive and on, like, live on purpose. And it, it requires that you would get to know the living God that lives inside of you. It requires that, that you would, I don't know, do some research, read up on, on authors, fellow believers that, that have gone before us, and get equipped and get trained. That's why it's important to come to service. And finally, it just, it just means that we serve and serve well. So I have a question for you today, church, and for those of you listening to, to me on the podcast. What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? If you're young, you might, you might think, oh, I, I'll, I'll start my legacy after I graduate. No, start it now. Start thinking about what you want to be remembered as. Start thinking, like, I want to leave this behind. Don't just think, you know what, I don't want to be like mom and dad. That's not vision. That's just going to always drive you back to, to, to just, you're going to end up doing that, that stuff anyways. But have vision for where you're headed. And if you're, um, if you're slightly older than our younger people, don't think that you can't, that you don't have a legacy. Don't think that you don't have something to leave behind. 
the Bible says that the young people overcome the evil one and that our older people will dream dreams. That tells me that, that it doesn't matter what your age is, that God has purpose for your life and the legacy that you leave behind will impact others. Thank you for listening to the Grace and Love podcast. We hope you are blessed by this message. If you have a prayer request, we would love to hear from you. Please feel free to contact us. And if you're in the LA area, we would love to meet you. We have services Sundays at 2 p.m. and Fridays at 8 p.m. We are located at 1900 Medford Street, Montebello, California, 90640. Thanks again, and God bless you.